This is episode number 193 with international best-selling author Dan Millman. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. I am very excited about today's guest. He is a, a hero of mine, someone I've looked up to for years. His books have inspired me. His his movie inspired me that his book was uh, based off of, and his name is Dan Millman. He's a former world champion gymnast, Stanford University coach, Oberlin College professor, and martial arts instructor. He is the author of 16 books and published in 29 languages, including his classic, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, which was adapted into a film in 2006. Now, Dan's keynotes and seminars has inspired people from all walks of life, including leaders in the field of health, psychology, education, business, politics, sports, and the arts. And for me, this was a, a really inspiring conversation to be able to sit down with Dan and and really dive into a lot of the different things, the journey that we all go along, whether you're an athlete, uh, an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter where you are, we all go through our own journey. And I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the one, the only, Dan Millman. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off take your business further with the smart and flexible american express business gold card you can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit u.s restaurants and gas stations that's the powerful backing of american express Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Whether you're searching for a home to buy or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. You can favorite homes, share listings with others, and even schedule tours with a local Redfin agent, all in the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. They know how to help you win the right home at the right price. So download the Redfin app to get started today. Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness podcast. I'm very excited and delighted about today's guest. His name is Dan Millman. Thanks so much, Dan, for coming on. Glad to be here and talking with you, Lewis. I am, uh, you know, we have a, a lot of mutual um, interest, I would say, or connections, and I want to I go over a few of them really quickly. One is that you are a former Olympic gold medalist. Is that correct? No, actually, I was a world champion on the trampoline, but it was uh, in London. It, a trampoline wasn't yet an Olympic event, so gotcha. okay, cool. I, 
I didn't actually win any anything. I didn't actually go to the Olympics, but I was uh, an elite trampoline gymnast and a gymnast all around. Yeah, you're an all American gymnast, right? Yes. Gotcha. In the vault. Um, most every event. Yeah, most every event. Okay, cool. I think where I saw was gold medalist in gymnastics and uh, some other world games or something, but it wasn't the Olympics, correct? Well, the important thing is uh, that sports and training is part of my past and it's helped yes. to keep my work grounded and realistic rather than drift off into abstract concepts. Sure, sure. You also, from your Wikipedia page, I'm reading, you joined the faculty at Oberlin College in, in Ohio. Is that right? Yes. And I, I'm from Ohio. I'm from Delaware, Ohio. I don't know if you've heard of that city. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's close to Columbus. So I think um, Oberlin, I believe, is only an hour or two away from Columbus. If I right. I drove to uh, Ohio State once down in Columbus, and I think it was about an hour and a half or so. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, cool. So you're a former world-class athlete. Currently, I play on the USA uh, men's national team for a sport called Team Handball. So I've played oh. in the uh, the Pan American Championships a number of times, and um, we did not qualify for the Pan Am Games coming up next month, which my goal is to go to the Olympics, but... Uh, <laughs> We haven't we haven't qualified yet in, since '96 since it was in Atlanta. So uh, I'm still on the path to try to get there. Uh, but uh, we're we're both uh, athletes turned authors. You've written uh, a number of books, but one is uh, that really impacted my life because uh, I read your book and uh, and watched the movie around the time where I felt like I was going through the exact same experience that you did or that you talked about in the book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And uh, as a cocky, egotistical, 21, 22-year-old uh, know-it-all jock, I um, got injured and had my own story of, of coming back and, and making, um, you know, playing professional football after a devastating injury and um, and then playing with the USA national team. So your book, your story uh, really inspired me to let go of my ego, find my own Socrates, and um, find meaning in my, in my passion. So I appreciate inspiring me and millions of people around the world with your with your work. Well, thank you. And you know, your your story uh underscores that truth that sometimes uh, difficulty and adversity, uh, some dislocation in our life, in your case an injury when you were an athlete like mine, um it it can uh shake us upward. I'm pointing up right now and <laughs> And lend perspective, which is the better part of wisdom. We become a bit more compassionate, a, a bit uh, more realistic about ourselves. And, you know, the whole idea about letting go of our ego, I don't even know what that means. The mm. ego has – that word has gotten a bad rap in spiritual sure. circles and psychological circles. But Freud, you know, coined the word from the Greek. It just means I. It's a practical way of organizing experience around this person we name ourselves. Um, it wasn't meant to be a pejorative or a negative term, uh, but so many people I meet uh, along the path say, I'm going to get rid of my ego, but who wants to get rid of their identity? You know, it's just sure. we're here to transcend it, not get rid of it and mm. see ourselves in a more realistic and maybe compassionate way. And that's what I teach. It's not about getting rid of the ego. I just thought I'd offer that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that uh, correction and adjustment there. I mean, I guess I would think when I think of the ego – in that terms, it's more the uh, the things in the ego that doesn't serve you and others. So that part of the ego. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious. You've you've authored a number of books. I believe 16 or, or 17. Am I am I off? Have you done more now? 
Yeah, at some point I stopped counting, but I think it's, <laughs> I think it's around sixteen. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm curious why uh, is the way of the way of the peaceful warrior is that the most popular book? And if so, uh, why do you think it uh, is the most popular one of all your books? Well, it is my signature book. It's the one I'm best known for. Um, in terms of sales, there's another book called The Life You Were Born to Live, mm. which has captured the imagination of many people. It's sort of a fascinating uh, system for clarifying one's life path. And it's been quite useful to many people also. Uh, but every book, uh, you know, I, I didn't write strategically, Lewis. It wasn't like I planned a sequel. In fact, I didn't write another book after Way of the Peaceful Warrior for 10 years. Really? But, but no, not for 10 years. I just felt I'd said what I had to say. Uh, the, book, the book came out. It died. And then it came back. Another publisher put it out. And then word of mouth started. And that's truly the only thing that can keep a book alive for over 30 years now. Um, it's still doing very well because people just pass it um, along among families and friends. There was something in that book, and I wish I could have, you know, I wish I had a pill and be smart enough to know what <laughs> that factor is. But it just happened to touch a chord in many mm. people, as you know. Sure. And, yeah, there's but, only a, there's only yeah. a few books that I really it's 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 challenging me for me to complete books, and mm. there's only a few books that I could really finish. And finish with ease. Yours was one of them. Another one that I recommend to a lot of people is The Alchemist, which is a very similar feeling to me that I get when I read both of your books. It's kind of a similar find your journey and your path um, story. Um, but that one's done as, uh, uh, extremely well over the time as well also. Yeah, I enjoyed Coelho's book, The Alchemist, as well. There's another one, if you haven't read it, I'd, I'd recommend, which is Siddhartha by Herman mm. Hesse. That's okay. a classic uh, S-I-D-D-H-A-R-T-H-A, Siddhartha. Yeah. And it's a little book, and, and it's one I used to read once a year. It's mm. a beautiful book. Now, I'm curious. When the movie came out, I believe that was, I don't know, five or seven years ago. It might be longer or shorter. But um, what happened to the book and to your brand and your message when that movie came out? Did it impact you in any way um, or not really? Well, as an author, of course, I'm grateful when someone's willing to spend millions of dollars to adapt my book into a film. That was that was really a, quite a, a nice thing. It took about 18 years uh, after someone bought the rights to the option and, and bought the rights, the film rights, uh, to actually make it into a movie. Um, and it's a winding path, I can assure you. A long story I won't tell now. Um, and, and many, uh, often the case is if there's a major movie release for a book, the book sales go up. People right. know about the book and they put it on television and all that. Um, and book sales did take a bump and more people, uh, attended my seminars because they'd seen the film. So that was, that was, uh, nice and refreshing. And, and some people who might not read the book were able to get a, at least a taste of some of the spirit and uh, content from the book. So, do you, do you so, feel like they did a uh, justice on the movie? Um, you know, there's the the book is the book, the movie is the movie. <laughs> I I didn't expect them to put every word, every idea up yeah. on up on the screen. Um, the movie is very accessible. It's like a two hour meal for consciousness in you know in in a finite time. It's easy to to see. Whereas the book takes a little longer for some people, but it, most of the time the book is better than the film in terms of depth and and impact. Um, I, so both both I think serve their own uses. Gotcha. Now, when you were, you know, a world-class athlete um, in your early twenties and beyond, did you ever visualize yourself 
impacting the world in a way where you were writing books and doing seminars and selling millions of copies and having movies about your work? Did you ever think that was a possibility or were you only focused on being an athlete at the time? Well, even when I was an athlete, I, I never ever believed I was going to be a world champion, uh, uh, but I never really believed I wouldn't either. Hmm. I just trained. I loved doing the trampoline, which led to gymnastics and other things. Um, I just kept an open mind. It, you know, Some people say we have to have high expectations, and some people say the secret of happiness is low expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe maybe it's best to have no expectations, just to recognize the truth that we can't control the outcomes in our lives, but we can control our efforts. And by making a good effort, we increase the odds of getting the outcomes we might desire. Mm. So I just made a good effort. And the stars seemed to align. I could tell the story about, you know, just when I was, I was a freshman in college. Um, they, they flew me because of politics and different gymnastics associations. They decided I'd represent the, the fledgling USA gymnastics back then. And they flew me. They didn't want to spend any extra money. So they flew me in the night before the competition. I got there at about midnight. Uh, my luggage was lost. So about two in the morning, I was able to get to my hotel. The competition started in London at 8 a.m. Oh. So I got very little sleep. I was totally jet lagged out. Um, the other athletes had their coaches there with them. I was alone, you know, 18 years old. So, and I saw, I, I opened the door to Albert Hall where the competition was held. And, uh, I saw one of the competitors doing a move, um, I'd never done bouncing higher than I'd ever jumped. So I wasn't filled full of confidence going <laughs> into the competition, but somehow when the smoke cleared, um, I ended up winning the championships. I just had a good moment. Nobody, it doesn't matter who wins the warm up, right? Exactly. And with, um, were you jumping higher than he was? No, but he just made a mistake. Wow. And uh, I happened to come through under the pressure. I was always pretty good at that, kind of hardwired to do that. And it, um, all the past led, led me to that point. And then after that, you know, that was nice, but I moved on back to all around gymnastics with, aims of the Olympics, but then, as you know from the way of the Peaceful Warrior or the movie, a shattered right leg mm-hmm. in a motorcycle crash uh, put a damper on that uh, for a while, maybe forever. I didn't know, but I just kept training and uh, made a pretty strong comeback. So, you know, that's my story, but each of us, I emphasize every person I know, everyone listening to this podcast has a story. It's their treasure because there's not a single story on the planet exactly like their story. And we're each, we don't just have a story. We're a story in the making. We never know what the next chapter is going to be. Yeah. And, uh, a friend of mine, Gary Vaynerchuk, said that we are one piece of content away from, uh, you know, our entire life changing forever. You know, you were one book away when you wrote The Way of Peaceful Warrior that probably changed your life in a big way uh, in terms of platform, visibility, and, and impact. So it's interesting. We never know what could happen after one thing we do. Well, speaking uh, of impact, that motorcycle crash changed my life in a very positive way, too. Right? Only I didn't fully appreciate it at the time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, same with my injury. When I got injured playing professional football, I was, mm-hmm. you know, extremely depressed and down for for months. I was in a cast for six months, and then another year of just trying to rehab my my arm. Yeah. And uh, I remember thinking my life is over. I had that was my whole identity. I didn't have a backup plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but without that, I wouldn't be impacting people the way I am with my message and my podcast and exactly. books and, and things like exactly. that. So I'm extremely grateful and blessed 
for that experience yep. and, a, and a lesson. Now you say um, it might be good to have no expectations. And I'm curious, when you were training so hard and you were focusing on just giving your best effort and not focusing on the outcome, did you have big goals or dreams or well sure sure i did you you know um in the peaceful warrior movie the character my character dan has kind of a revelation when he and socrates walk hike up to the top of that hill or mountain Uh and dan realizes you know he said it's the journey that brings us happiness not the destination Mm -hmm. and that's a nice thing to contemplate but the fact is if we have no destination in mind there is no journey we just wander around (laughs) so to our point a we have to have some point b so you know it's been said that the purpose of life is a life of purpose of finding a goal we'd like to move toward, whatever that may be in the moment. Uh, you know, one of my books is called The Four Purposes of Life. So I definitely, and another book is called Living on Purpose. So I have dealt with among, you know, people know me as the reminders about living in the present moment and why that's useful and helpful, but also living a purposeful life. So I'm certainly a believer in having some goal to move toward. Yes. Gotcha. What, um, What's the goal for you right now to move towards? Well, uh, professionally and something, you know, part of what I'm here to do, it's very aligned with my purpose is I'm working on uh, the third and final book in the Peaceful Warrior Saga. Each of those books stand alone. People can read one and not the others, but uh, they are part of a, a trilogy. It's called The Hidden School. So that's a book I'm working on. It's right up on my computer screen in front of me right now, Ooh. and I'm working hard on, on that book. They they say uh, uh, a, a difficult uh, writing make for an easy read. Mm-hmm. I like so well, I'm putting, putting the effort out. I just finished the uh, the manuscript on my book, and it's been oh a, great! It's been a seven year visualization journey and a year long, you know, in depth writing process. So hopefully that uh, makes it an easy read. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. You know, um, a book I wrote with my daughter um, called The Creative Compass, Writing Your Way from Inspiration to Publication, goes into that five-stage creative process. Every creative event, whether it's writing music, um, a painting, a sculpture, or a, particularly a book, it goes through those phases you'll recognize. Is First, the dream phase, where you're coming up with ideas and what we call sticky ideas that stay with you then from that goes into the the uh, draft stage where you bring it into reality you start to do the work of typing speaking whatever it is to bring it from the ideal realm the dream realm into the world then comes the important development phase where you really have to rewrite shift uh, take a fresh look get feedback and that goes into the refinement phase the refined uh, stage and the last one is the sharing stage mm. which you're now approaching Yes. But what you do and what happens in the sharing stage really depends on what happened in the earlier stages and the quality that you put into it, as you can appreciate. Yeah. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place 
place to start, and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Well, I'm excited for the the destination, but the journey has been a, a pleasure as well. So great, it's all great. been fun. Yeah. Um, curious about the, the book, Peaceful Warrior, and what were the biggest lessons that opened up for you when writing the book? And... What's the biggest lesson that's opened up for you since in the decades it's been out? The best way I can answer that is to say that uh, I was I was a pretty self-absorbed young athlete, uh, like many young people and athletes, yeah. you know, individual sport. Being centered, the, the, the downside of being centered tends to be self-centered. So <laughs> – <laughs> um, and I was very much into self-improvement. Um, and I learned juggling and I was playing guitar and I was doing gymnastics and I was taking memory courses and speed reading. You, you get the, the drill. Yep, yep. Um, and one day I realized that no matter how much I improved myself, only one person benefited. But if somehow I could influence other people, and I know you felt this calling too because mm -hmm. look what you do. Um, if I could influence other people, that made my life more meaningful and to reach out to those larger aspects, facets of myself, uh, the larger world. So I started just kind of putting ideas together. There was something about improving what I'd written, making it shine and sparkle and polishing it. I liked doing. And it took about seven years to congeal ideas based on experiences I'd had and some insights. And it took many, many rewrites over about a seven-year period, starts and stops. Um, I was also influenced by, you know, that old Kung Fu TV series, David Carradine played this character, Kwai Chang Kane. You might be young for that, yeah. but it was a very big TV series. Bruce Lee wanted to um, play the role, but uh, Carradine did a, did a good job. Um, and it, it was about this Shaolin monk who was a peaceful monk, nonviolent, vegetarian, but, you know, he knew how to fight if necessary. And that archetype, the, 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 not just the warrior, but the peaceful warrior impacted me. So I ended up 
putting this book together and calling it Way of the Peaceful Warrior, describing adventures with this old gas station attendant. I, I named Socrates because he wouldn't tell me his real name. Um, and, and that's how it took shape. And so it wasn't some revelation that ha- happened all at once. It was just this book. And the book actually was subtitled when it first came out, A Basically True Story. Well, the bookstores were not amused. They didn't know where to put it, so they didn't even want it. It got into very few stores. The book died. And then, really? so, yeah, no, the book just went out of print very quickly. They gave me the rights back. And I, you know, my agent said, write another book because you're, you know, it's a failed hardback. Wow. But then this old fellow who was a retired publisher read a, he found a copy somewhere and, and said, I love this book. I'm going to put it out again. And he put it out as a paperback. And, and then just the word of mouth happened and it started building. And it's, you know, it's sold many millions of copies over the last 30 years. And, uh, it's out in about 20, I don't know, 27, 20, 29 languages. Um, so it was one of those things. I wish I could give people a trail of breadcrumbs <laughs> or stardust to follow to, to, but nobody can guarantee, sure. uh, success. You just put it out there. And if your book, if the particular captures the universal lessons and many people can relate to it, um, then, you make a contribution to many right. people. Yeah, and timing is everything, it sounds like, too. Yeah. Now, who uh, did you ever find out Socrates' name? Do you still keep in touch? Well, I wrote a book, uh, probably my best writing, uh, a novel I called The Journeys of Socrates. And it's about his life growing up as a little boy in a military school in Russia and what happens, how he became a man, why he became a warrior and how he, a warrior finally found peace. So that's the journeys of Socrates. And my daughter, the same one who wrote the writing book with me, um, is, has adapted it to a screenplay. And we'll see again timing and luck and fortune, um, whether it ends up uh, a movie down right. the line. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, What's his name? Do you have his name? or? Well, in the book, his name is Sergei Ivanov. He came from a Russian background. Um, But there's more to the story I'll tell one day in my (laughs) final book. Okay, cool. Um, How much of it was fiction and how much of it was uh, made up? Yeah, that's a fair question because people are used to something being either a novel where right. it's fictional or a memoir, which is not supposed to have any fiction uh, but just memory. And uh, from the start, I let people know that the book is autobiographical. A lot of it really happened about my life. But there are fictional elements woven into the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those, I don't want to do any spoilers for those who haven't read the book, if they're sure. curious about it. But there are elements. And, and at my website, you know, peacefulwarrior.com, I have a question and answer uh, page there where I go into um, more about uh, how much is fact, how much is, is right. fiction. But I will say this. Uh, Pablo Picasso once said, art is a lie that helps us to see the truth. Mm, I like that. It's a great quote. Yeah. Yep. So I'm curious about um, your visualization process as an athlete and how you've translated it into, you know, your career with uh, with writing and with the workshops you do and, and all the, the work you do. Is there a process that you follow when before you're about to write, before you start your your big competition, you said that you always seem to perform well under the pressure, under the bright lights? What was your mindset process like, your visualization process, your your strategy to prepare yourself for those big moments and today still? Sure. 
Um, and for any athletes or musicians or people who are going to do public speaking and they're a little nervous about it, um, it does help. Visualization, it can be a powerful tool simply because our subconscious mind doesn't really differentiate very much between what we see with our physical eyes and what we can see in our mind's eye. So it becomes real when we can vividly picture certain things. It's not a magical solution um, that will make you successful and rich and and all that, Uh, but it is a useful tool. And I used it in a practical sense when I was trying a new movement in gymnastics. And there's a certain level of risk um, because I didn't really like being held in in belts, you know, these overhead spotting belts Mm -hmm. that hold you up in the air. I, I got tangled up in that, found them too inhibiting, and they didn't have the foam pits and all that you could land in that they do today. So it was just careful progressions and throw and go and hope it works out. So I would always visualize in in the sense of feeling myself going through the movements um, before uh, many times before I actually tried it. And so I felt like I'd already almost done it successfully a number of times, even though it was the first time I was physically doing it. Uh, so that was helpful to me. And it's based on a study that was done some years ago of people. They had three groups of people. They were all like college students. And some, uh, they were all beginners in shooting baskets. They hadn't really done basketball much. And they had one, one third of the people, uh, actually practiced a set number of free throws in basketball, um, each day for a period yep. of time. And they improved because they pissed. And the second group just visualized themselves. They imagined themselves standing there, bouncing the ball a couple of times and then shooting. And they saw the ball go into the, basket and so on. A third group just watched television or did some unrelated task. And and the study found uh, that the people who visualized shooting the baskets vividly um, improved almost as much as the ones they did improve. And they improved almost as much as the ones who were physically shooting the ball. So it's not equal, but it's extremely helpful to visualize or mentally rehearse for certain events. doesn't mean they're going to turn out exactly the way you think, but um, it just puts you, you in a mindset where you're kind of more used to it. I don't do those sorts of things today as much. I kind of live in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I show up and see what, what's in front of me and just uh, present because I, I speak all over the world. You're, you're a seasoned pro now. Yeah, yeah. Got just, it down. Just, well, <laughs> I, you know, competence breeds confidence. There you go. I like it. For me, I remember, uh, you know, in college, I was also a decathlete and um, was an All-American. And I remember being very challenged by the pole vault. And I don't know if you ever did track and field, but the pole vault. I, I tried pole vault, yes. Oh, my God. As a, gym, <laughs> as a gymnast, pole vault is probably the best event for you. Um, and I remember... It was just so challenging. It took me six months to really learn how to bend the pole and be comfortable going upside down and just, you know, putting it all together. There's so many moving parts to the pole vaults. And I remember I watched videotape for of highlights of the best pole vaulters in the world with inspiring music behind it. Every night before I went to bed, I would watch this for about 30 to 60 minutes and just on replay over and over. And I started to see that, you know, by putting in the actual work and training every morning at it, and doing the visualization every night that I felt like it accelerated my my learning curve and prepared me for those big moments as well. So I found it very, very helpful. Uh, I'm not at the level where you are where I can just show up without uh, visualizing and preparing that well, but uh, hopefully one day I'll be able to get there. I'm curious about, uh, do you still do uh, martial arts? I do. In fact, two weeks ago, I went up to, uh, flew up to Toronto, Canada, in, in that Toronto area, um, 
uh, the most recent art, you know, I started when I was nine years old. I did martial arts before I did uh, gymnastics. Wow. Um, and I, you know, I started with judo, then different styles of karate, including Okinawan style. Uh, and then, um, I got pretty decent, uh, pretty quick moving and so on. Um, but then I had a 10 year latency period, no more martial arts while I was training in gymnastics. Mm. And after I started coaching gymnastics at Stanford University, I decided to take up Aikido. So I did, uh, Aikido. Uh, it's very nonviolent flowing art. And then later I learned, uh, the, the long Tai Chi form, uh, more Chinese art and, um, later, a little bit of a Screamer Arnis Kali a movement, a knife fighting, stick fighting, wow. but just a, just a touch. And um, more recently, Sistema, which is the Russian martial art, uh, quite a clever art based on uh, combat in all terrains. Uh, and I was up in Toronto doing uh, some Sistema breathing work and precision movement work. Uh, I found quite interesting. So, yes, I, I'm still involved uh, uh, with the martial arts hmm. how uh, what's the biggest thing that someone could take away and who hasn't done martial arts that you've learned that could vastly improve the quality of their life would it be a breathing techniques would it be uh you know something else what's something someone could take away well i would i would make a clear distinction between martial arts as arts movement arts hmm. uh in different forms and styles and cultures uh and self defense Practical self-defense uh, doesn't look like the fancy martial arts you see in the movies uh, or even in the schools. Um, and the best self-defense course I've ever come across, and I've been trained as an instructor in that, is called Fast Defense. And one can look it up, fast, F-A-S-T, defense.com. Fast stands for Fear, Adrenal, Stress, training and it's very practical it has boundary setting de-escalation how to get out of situations not have them get worse um, and verbal defense which is a, a very practical thing but finally if it's on and there's no way you can avoid an attack how to disable and knock out uh, and a single unarmed assailant they have weapons uh, training as well so and it's just very, very useful. See, the martial arts has a different lineage. In sports, we, we win or lose a match, uh, uh, win or lose points, uh, you know, get a better or worse time depending on our sport. But in the martial arts, it comes from a lineage of life and death. So even though we're not probably going to die doing a martial art today, um, there is that seriousness, that earnestness um, that knowing we have to train body, mind and spirit. It just the physical skill alone you can learn, but that's not really enough. That may not prevail. You have to know something about mental focus and, you know, living in the present and how to really get into that flow state. So, you know. Whether we call it martial arts, yoga, sports, it's all about movement, stillness, breathing, attention. So it's um, like a master metaphor. Anyone who's trained in a sport or who has done dance or played a musical instrument, anyone who is trained in any field can view that as a metaphor of their life and transfer some of those skills, those general strengths into whatever they do. You know, one of my books, I don't know if you, you've read it, Lewis, but it's called Body Mind Mastery. Mm. And that is my gift to athletes. Uh, and that, wow. that uh, can be quite helpful to anybody who trains. Uh, I'll have to check got, that one out. Yeah, Body Mind Mastery. Okay. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> When you uh, 
when you experience any type of stress or any type of a breakdown in your life, whether it be minor or or major breakdowns that ha- occur, what is your practice for overcoming those breakdowns or those minor moments of stress? Do you have a, a practice or a ritual that you follow, uh, a breathing technique, uh, you know, a way of being that you that you shift into? There are techniques um, one can learn, but at some point, you know, and I believe me, I've had them coming out of my ears. I've had so many. I've learned so many techniques over the decades for this or that. Uh, but let me just address stress. St- stress is part of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I can tell people two things about stress, I can say stress happens when the mind resists what is. In other words, whatever is arising in life, if we resist it. It creates some stress, psychological stress, maybe translated to physical stress as well, blood pressure and so on. Um, so when we learn to flow with life and kind of dance with it the way any good martial artist would do, not fighting the force but learning to use it, um, getting out of the way, we experience less stress first of all. But the second thing is stress is a normal part of life. The only way to avoid stress is don't care about anything. <laughs> Yeah. But most of us do care. So we're engaged with life. So sometimes we get the elevator. Sometimes we get the shaft, as the saying goes. Right, right. Um, and, and things happen, changes, disappointments, and we feel stress. A flat tire on the way to an important appointment or a date, um, these things happen. And But there is a big difference between stress plus tension or stress without tension. So we can't really control this abstract idea we de- we define as stress, but we can control our degree of tension. Any of us can right now, any listener can tense their body. We have that ability, tense all our muscles. And if we can tense, we can relax. Just the opposite. Let go, shake, take a breath. And you know what? Relaxed stress is a very different critter from tense stress. Mm-hmm. So whenever a stressful element happens in our lives, we can rem- take use that as a uh, just kind of a, a a signal to take a deep breath, let it out, shake loose, and see how relaxed we can be, even as we face the stress. And you know this is especially true in the stress if you're ever attacked by multiple attackers. That's quite a stressful situation, yeah. and that is exactly when you need to learn to move and relax because most people don't get beaten up because their techniques aren't good enough. It's because they get too tired. And so by staying relaxed and moving and flowing, which this martial art that I'm studying now, Sistema, emphasizes, um, it really, really helps us prevail in everyday life and everyday stresses as well. Yeah, or they just stop breathing, you know, with ease. They start shortening their breath or they hold their breath. Yeah, that's typical. Yeah, that's typical. If you can't breathe, it's hard to do anything. You know, the only difference between fear and excitement is whether we're breathing. Mm, Interesting. I like that. What did, did you find? Uh, what did you find was more fulfilling for you, competing as an athlete, a world class level, or coaching world class athletes? You ask such interesting questions. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed both in their time. I, I never actually. Um, uh, felt like I was competing. It's an irony because my coach said I was one of the strongest competitors he ever knew. Uh, but I didn't feel like I was competing because, you know, in gymnastics, it's different from boxing or running track against another, you know, somebody's next to you and you're trying to get to the finish line first. That mm-hmm. really feels like a competition. But in gymnastics, it's really, uh, you know, they're, all they do is give you a number and compare the, 
the numbers <laughs> to see who was best. But uh, it was, it's more about performing. So I always viewed my, myself as performing, and it was like I had a routine. How well was I going to do it? That's what counted, not what everybody else was doing. I couldn't, I couldn't control what someone else was doing. I could have the best uh, day of my life, but they might have just had a, a better day. So I just focused on what I could control, which is what am I going to do here and now? Uh, so I did enjoy that. Um, it was quite stimulating, exciting, uh, and satisfying because having a goal to move toward and train for and having teammates, you know, that was fun too. But I don't think it even touched the satisfaction of being a coach and really? reaching out into all those lives. No, I just love coaching. And in fact, what I loved even more than coaching elite athletes, and I did coach at Stanford, the top U.S. Olympian at the time. Um, and the team went from the bottom of our conference when I started coaching there to one of the top three teams in the nation wow. uh, three, three years later. Um, but what I loved was coaching beginners. Because they, they loved it so much. And I, you know, I still, uh, in fact, this month I'm teaching once a week. I go to a place called the Circus Warehouse in, in, uh, Queens, uh, you know, in Brooklyn. And, um, and I, I teach an adult trampoline class. Nice. So, yeah, I love, I love teaching because it can touch the lives of other people and see them going through changes and having a great time. So, yeah, I really, uh, I That's do love cool. teaching. I've yeah. done some, uh, I've done some acro yoga. Uh huh. Yeah. With my girlfriend at the Brooklyn Zoo, which has a nice trampoline. I don't know if you've been there. No, no. But, a, uh, I'll have to look it up. It's called the Brooklyn Zoo. It's kind of like a parkour gymnastics, uh, trampoline facility. It's really creative looking inside. Thanks um, for the tip. Yeah. You, it's, they have a big foam pit. They have, you know, mats, everything. So, yeah. Uh, it's called the Brooklyn Zoo. You should check it out. I will. Um, that's cool. That's interesting to know that you are enjoyed and are more fulfilled with coaching beginners over competing yourself or performing yourself and uh, coaching elite athletes. If there were, if this was, you know, if everything that you've ever written was erased, let's say all your works, everything was ever was for some reason it was all erased. Everything was erased in the world, mm -hmm. and you had a piece of paper and a pen, and you got to write down three truths. Everything that you know to be true about uh, life, the world, and what you want to really leave behind as your message, the three sentences or truths to give back, and no one else would have any other work you've ever created, what would those three truths be? Well, I'm making notes now because one is tough enough. Um, <laughs> everyone wants to know, what is the one thing? Well, you've got three. Wow. Wow. It's, it's, like, you know, a I, it's like a genie. I'm like a yeah, you know, three, three yeah. wishes. You know, they say you teach what you need to learn, and I must have needed to learn a lot with 17 <laughs> books. So you're saying, Dan, would you distill, please distill your 17 books yeah, down to three it. sentences? Yeah. Who was it that said anything that can be put in a nutshell ought to be best left there? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I will, I will see what comes up. Um, one of the things that I emphasize in this approach to living that I teach my seminars and workshops, uh, obviously in much more depth, but I would say, um, because there's so much emphasis today in fixing our insides and finding mm. inner solutions, um, having the right thoughts and positive thinking, uh, clear mind and, and visualize this and that and, and having the right feelings to be motivated and courageous and confident. And there's so much emphasis on that that I actually would like to suggest that what our lot, what, the main force that shapes our lives 
are what we do over time. If we look back on our lives, um, it's really what we've, what we've done. Um, the horse I'm betting on is effort over time, not laws of attraction and visualizing positive outcomes, um, but just questioning what we will do moment to moment. Uh, in fact, um, one of the quotes I'm known for, uh, and I picked it up from a former mentor as well, but to progress toward our goals, we need to choose one of two following methods. We can find a way to quiet our mind, create empowering beliefs, raise our self-esteem, and practice positive self-talk in order to find our focus and affirm our power, to free our emotions and visualize positive outcomes so that we can develop the confidence to generate the courage, to find the determination, to make the commitment, to feel sufficiently motivated to do whatever it is we need to do. Exhausting. Or... We can just do it. Mm. And that's what it's always going to come down to. Now, that's a lot of words for just three points. But the first one is our lives are shaped by our actions over time. That's the first one. Mm. If you want a sound bite. The second one, I just remind people to trust the process of your life unfolding. Mm. Because we second-guess ourselves so much, Lewis. I should have done this. I could have done this. If only I'd done that. I don't have enough willpower. And we're just constantly doubting and second-guessing ourselves. If we can come to trust the process of our life, that in some sense, some transcendental sense, it's unfolding perfectly, including the accidents and, you know, as you and I know, Mm -hmm. it just directs us like a boulder rolling downhill, bouncing off different trees. We end up being directed to where we're going. So that's the second thing. You want the third thing too? Yes, please. (laughs) Okay. Well, let me, let me end with a story then. Um, and the story is, is this, um, it's a true story. Um, Aldous Huxley, famous author who wrote a book called Brave New World, uh, was in hospice care. He was, he was dying. And he was visited by his friend, Houston Smith, who wrote the book, literally, on world religions. Houston's still alive, but he's getting pretty frail. Um, and Houston asked his friend Aldous, he said, Aldous, you have traveled the world for decades, studying in depth practicing every spiritual and religious tradition, doing all these inner practices, various kinds of meditation and insight training and models of reality. And he said, is there any way at this time in your life that you can summarize all that you've learned? And Professor Huxley said, I'm a little embarrassed uh, to say that I can probably summarize it all in about six words. And those six words are try to be a little kinder. Mm. And, you know, maybe it all comes down to that. Nice counts. Um, in fact, you know, at my, for those who follow me on Facebook or Twitter, um, just search for Dan Millman. Um, they, um, I put quotes, a couple of quotes a week I usually contribute to people. And they seem to like these quotes. And I've got a lot of followers. Um, and I just did a quote last, well, a couple of days by Barbara Bush. Hmm. And she said, be yourself. She said, oh, but make that a little bit nicer self. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, you know, that's the third thing I might offer, just that simple reminder when we can remember to do so, a little more courtesy, a little more compassion, a little more kindness, we don't have to feel compassionate. Mm. We don't have to feel peaceful or happy or loving or confident. But we need to learn to behave that way, just as someone who is feeling afraid learns to behave with courage. Mm, I love that. I've got a, a couple final questions for you really quickly. Uh, one sure. is, one is, what's the thing, uh, what's the one question that most people never ask you that you wish they did. Oh, I could probably come up with some clever quip, you know, but <laughs> I don't really wish people would ask me something different from what they ask me. Mm. Um, I would, I would offer it freely, um, mm, if, okay. even if they don't ask it. So I think, uh, it's, it's, it's good for us to continue to ask questions of ourselves mm. because that's how I've come up with these 16 books, asking myself certain questions. Like I asked myself a question, uh, what is personal growth? You know, we talk about that all the time. What is it? We use the term personal development, personal growth. And I ended up, boom, the answers came. 12 areas of life, which I've used in various books. One of them, uh, yeah, one of them was called Everyday Enlightenment. Um, in my little book, The Four Purposes of Life, I also uh, summarize these 12 areas of life, 12 courses in the school of life. We're here to master. But it all came from that one question. Mm. What is personal growth? The book Body, Mind, Mastery came from the question, what is talent? Mm. You know, we use the word talent a lot, but maybe we misunderstand it. We see someone who's uh, very good at what they do. We say, boy, are they talented. They may not be talented at all. They may just have uh, used a lot of effort over time to develop their expertise. So, And often we think we're not talented at something because we try it and it doesn't come easily, but it takes time to nourish talent. Mm-hmm. So just asking ourselves questions and waiting for the answers, that, that's quite a great process. Is there any question you have yet to answer yourself? Yeah. How's this next book going to turn out? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I never Perfect. know. <laughs> well, I'll be, I'll be happy to promote it for you when it comes out. So, <laughs> Thanks, so let me know. Um, before I ask you, uh, actually, okay, two final questions. One's a, uh, a quick one, but this one is if you had three books to leave behind to, besides your own, to the world, what would those three books be? Well, you know, I'm sort of a Piscean dreamer, um, and, and I, I like stories. Uh, there are many wonderful nonfiction books and documentaries and histories, but, um, what captured my imagination? There was, uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say, but I love the book Once and Future King about Arthur and the Round Table, maybe my idealist part. Mm-hmm. And I also, of course, am a big fan of Lord of the Rings. Uh, before uh-huh. the movies came out, I love the trilogy. <laughs> and, and you I like I, the movies. <laughs> yeah, oh, the movies were great. They were right, a terrific right. adaptation. Ter- I loved them. But yeah. um, anyway, I, you know, and. I could mention 50 books or I could mention just a third to satisfy your question, <laughs> but I'd rather say that the next book maybe hasn't yet been written. Mm, I like that. Okay. Well, uh, a final question I want to ask but before I do, Dan, I want to take a moment. And you're a Pisces as well, right? Yep. That we said? Yeah, I'm a Pisces also. That's why uh-huh. I'm even more connected to you. Um, <laughs> I want to take a moment just to acknowledge you, Dan, because you've been such a, a huge impact in the world, like I said earlier on, and you've impacted my personal life in such a powerful way without me ever even getting to know you or talking to you just by 
the art that you put out in the world and the performance you put on paper and which was created into movies and how you've created a ripple effect in the world. For me, I am just so grateful for your life and for your story because you're able to show me and so many others like me how to overcome adversity and obstacles when it doesn't look like anything else is possible to come from those moments, you really create possibility for people like me. So I acknowledge you for the gifts you've given to the world, uh, your consistent commitment to excellence and giving your best effort and everything you've created over time. So I want to acknowledge you for that, Dan. Well, it's gratifying. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. And the final question is what's your definition of greatness? It has nothing to do with being great in the eyes of the world. I, I believe celebrity is a form of adversity, personally. Um, and that's a whole subject of a whole other podcast sometime. But <laughs> to me, it's, as I said, since we can control our efforts, not the outcomes, it's giving our best effort. Uh, and I see daily life as a form of spiritual weight training. Uh, we don't have to seek adversity. It's a part of life. <laughs> right. And I think greatness, everyday greatness, is is when we roll up our sleeves and tackle what we need to. Uh, I think daily life uh, is a training ground for greatness, depending on how we approach it. Dan Millman, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. It's my pleasure, Lewis. Great talking with you. Thank you guys again so much for listening to this episode. I loved connecting with Dan and I was so grateful to hear his responses. Make sure to head back to lewishouse.com slash 193 where you can get all information about how to connect with Dan online, all of his social media, his website, his books, etc. Again, if you enjoyed this episode and you want others to hear about it and you want to inspire greatness in others, then spread the message and share this forward. Go ahead and share this link, lewishouse.com slash 193 with your friends on Facebook and Twitter and social media to get the word of greatness out there and inspire others who want to get to the next level in their life. Thank you again so much, everyone, for being here, for supporting this mission to inspire 100 million people around the world and teach them how to make a full-time living doing what they love and step into their own greatness. You guys are incredible. You know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. We'll